Have you signed up for Unfound's other podcast, Unfound Live, yet? Thank you. On September 24th, 2016, Unfound released the episode for Jason Jolkowski, who went missing from Omaha, Nebraska on June 13th, 2001. Since then, and despite me avoiding superlatives in most forms, I have called Jason's case the most mysterious Unfound has featured. So today, you will hear the original interview along with a new opening, summation, and summary for this still unsolved disappearance. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound. So then, the big question. What, in my opinion, makes Jason's disappearance the most mysterious? The hardest to understand? The one where answers are not easily forthcoming? Or, to put it another way, why does Jason's case get that title and not Joshua Guimond's, or Audrey Heron's, or Craig Freer's, or Jennifer Perry's? and many others which I'm sure you might select if you were running your own podcast. For me, I first, and most importantly, look at Jason himself. No turbulent relationships, no addictions, no enemies, no mental issues, no allegations that he was suicidal, no proof he was hiding something from anyone. A large guy who wouldn't at least from the outside, make a likely victim. Then I look at the circumstances. His own neighborhood, daytime, no bodies of water nearby, a short walk. He really wanted to go to work. Really, if you're to analyze all those points and compare them to the other 270 cases Unfound is covered, you'll see how unique Jason's disappearance is, despite it generally falling into the category of a walk-off. And now a new 2022 summary of this disappearance. It's brought to you by my friend Megan Linez's website, charlieproject.org. Jason Jolkowski had what we might call that stereotypical Midwestern type of life. Parents married, a younger brother, his high school within walking distance, a love for the Chicago Cubs. Seriously, as apple pie and Chevrolet as it can get. But there were difficulties for Jason. The most well-known one was that he had a learning disability that could cause him to not understand the context of certain conversations and he might be too likely to trust people for the wrong reasons. Yet, this did not get in the way of Jason being a very popular DJ at his college's radio station. So, on June 13th, 2001, Jason was home with his brother when Jason got called into work. He was not on the schedule. 
The problem was that his car was in the shop due to a recent hailstorm. Luckily, a co-worker agreed to pick up Jason at 11 a.m. at Benson High School, which Jason had attended. It was a short walk, yet Jason never arrived. The co-worker did what she could to figure out where Jason was to no avail. He was never seen again. Upon inspection, the video cameras at the school did not capture Jason before or after the co-worker arrived. In addition, no neighbors reported seeing Jason during his walk, although one did mention seeing him take out the garbage cans at his house around 10.45 a.m. To add to the points already made about Jason's disappearance and why it is so mysterious, very few people would have known Jason would be walking to the school. And also remember how rare stranger-on-stranger crimes are. Think about those items as you try to answer these three questions while listening to the original 2016 interview. Number one, theoretically, what kind of stranger would even attempt to abduct a 19-year-old, 6-foot-tall male in broad daylight? Number two, if someone who Jason knew abducted him, should this not have been solved quickly given that Jason would have only gotten into certain people's vehicles? And number three, given the shortness of the walk, should the school's video have not been used to identify cars that were at least in the area at that time? Jason's family at least in 2016, could offer no opinion on what they think happened to him. The guest for the 2016 episode was Jason's mother, Kelly Murphy. Unfound news. That time is here. Panky trial number two. I'll be flying out on Tuesday, October 18th and coming back late on October 20th. I do not anticipate this trip will get in the way of next Friday's episode. Next, this past Tuesday, I made the most recent Unfound Now available to everyone on YouTube. It's a 50-minute video concerning the recent disappearance of Caitlin Case, whose car was found abandoned in Oklahoma during her trip from Louisiana to Colorado. Finally, there will be no show with Dr. Telesco next Thursday, the 20th, due to my travel plans. We'll pick it up again in November. Grace and I will certainly have a lot to talk about. Where you can find Unfound. On these following podcast platforms. Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and many others especially outside the United States. The new podcast, Unfound Live, which comes out on Tuesdays, can also be found on these platforms. Social media sites, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newest one, TikTok. Listener support sites, patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast, paypal.me forward slash Unfound Podcast. The website, theunfoundpodcast.com. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. 
And please mention Unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. I want to welcome to the show uh, Kelly Murphy. She is the mother of Jason Jolkowski. And uh, please introduce yourself, Kelly, and I appreciate uh, you being on the show. Hi, Ed. I I appreciate being on the show, being asked to be on the show and share Jason's story as, as well as the work that our organization does. It's very important to help people understand the cause of the missing. So thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And I should note for the record that the organization she is talking about is Project Jason, uh, a nonprofit uh, organization that helps families of, of missing people that started in 2003. And later in this discussion, uh, we're going to be talking about what Project Jason, how it got started, what it does, and maybe some of the things that it's going to be doing in the future. Um, maybe an example might be, you know, some laws maybe that uh, Kelly is trying to pass in the near future. Uh, Kelly, tell the listeners uh, a little bit about Jason. Jason is very much missed. Um, very sweet kid. He he did live at home. He was age nineteen at the time of his disappearance, and you know no one could have possibly disliked him in any way, shape, or form. Just you know, he was the kid that you just never mm-hmm. had any problems with because mm-hmm. normally when. When uh, young men turn age 13, things happen. Yes. Things can be unpleasant, kind of difficult, rocky times. But but Jason was always such a good kid and, and really rarely caused any problems at all. And, you know, people would say, well, you know, he probably did a lot of things that you don't think, um, you know, smoking, drinking, mm-hmm. maybe dipping into drugs, that kind of thing. And it's like... I, I understand where you're coming from because typical kid at that age is going to be doing some or all of those things or at least experimenting, but I, I just don't think that's where Jason was. He was very involved with his family, love of family. Um, he volunteered as a, a lector at church, uh, meaning that he would read the readings. And Are you Catholic? Would that be Catholic? Okay. Yes. Okay. Correct. Okay. Um, so just really a, a sweet, good kid that we didn't have any problems with. Um, he did have learning disabilities, so things were not as easy for him mm-hmm. as, as with other uh, persons of his age. Uh, in high school, he was bullied because people didn't understand uh, what what was wrong. They didn't understand the way that he learned and processed. And, you know, it took a long time for him to get his driver's license because learning to drive with multiple input uh, to the brain was, was not an easy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he but he did it. He managed. And just like everything else, you know, graduated from high school and started going to community college part-time. And even though his his core issue was with uh, some brain processing and uh, having to do with language. It, it really amazed me that he went to community college and actually went into the radio broadcasting program yeah. of all things. 
Yeah, I, I listened to that recording of his, and, and I, I'm telling you, as a person who has devoted the last 15 years of his life to you know, entertainment and being in front of people speaking and things like that, I would have never guessed. I mean, he, he was so good. I mean, definitely had a talent in that area, and I want you to know that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, he does. Um, Yeah, so, you know, he started on the radio program and learning how to do that, and he kind of got his own persona because for the the community college, they had their own radio station, and so that was a part of of taking that curriculum was that you were were a DJ. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. boy, did he make some snafus when he first started. There was... One of the first nights that he was on his own and we were at home listening and all of a sudden there was this horrible silence hmm. on and on and we're sitting there thinking, what is going on? There must be a button you're not pushing or something. And mm-hmm. uh, so finally he figured out whatever it was. Hmm. And um, it was kind of funny before he got an audience, he would have his little brother call in and, you know, be a listener and. Uh, but pretty soon he didn't have to do that because he actually got a following. And to hear him do his radio persona, it didn't even sound like him. And he, he just did a really good job. It was just so surprising because to listen to him in that role, you would never, ever yeah. even imagine that he had a learning disability having to do with language. I would know. Truly no, truly amazing. I, th- I agree with you. I, uh, once again, as a writer who, you know... Is- uses words, I, I'm with you, that uh, no, can never tell, no, never. And there was another thing that was amazing about him is he was like a, a walking sports trivia um, dictionary of sorts. I mean, you could say, you know, who won the, the World Series in 1953, mm-hmm. you know, and he would know the answer. It was really, really amazing. So that was something that... Um, had his career continued, that he wanted to delve into uh, more into the the sports aspect of things. Um, But unfortunately, that didn't get to happen. Um, I want to ask you a question about this. If, you know, if I would meet Jason and and talk to him, and I talk to him about baseball, for example, would I, would I necessarily know that, I mean, how would uh, his mental deficiency manifest itself if, if I was talking to him just in casual conversation? I run into him at the grocery store. Would I have any idea? So if we're talking to him and you were outside and maybe there was noise of traffic or dogs or mm-hmm. ambulance go by or, or other things, then you have multiple input. Um, and, you know, so he would have to deal with whatever that was. Um, and even if there wasn't multiple input, if you were in a quiet room talking, there was still a lot of processing because people don't realize and think about that sort of issue because we don't have that processing type of issue. So if, if you think about it, you're listening to someone talk, mm-hmm. you have to process the words. You have to process yeah. the meaning. What are they saying? Are they asking me a question? And then in your mind, then you have to come up with, what, what do I say back? So mm-hmm. that wasn't an easy thing. So there could be a pause before he would answer, mm-hmm. or he could, you know, potentially need to ask you to repeat a part of what you said. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And so you think that um, he was probably going to go into maybe the broadcast field or, or something. That was where his interest really lay? Sports broadcasting. Sports. Yes, sports. absolutely. Okay. Okay. Um, let's move on a, a little bit um, to the day that he disappeared. Um, what... The first question I would have for you is, at what point in the day did you know that something, you know, was wrong? Well, I was at work. I believe at that time I worked until 6 p.m. And um, his father, I think he got off maybe like around 4. But I didn't know until sometime later in the afternoon, because I don't think his father knew either for a while. Mm Mm-hmm that something was wrong, and, and I got a call asking if I had heard from him. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, why would I have heard from him? You know, that wouldn't be normal because I'm at work, and I didn't have the kind of job where I could, you know, freely take or make calls. So that's, you know, when I first found out something was going on that, you know, this whole story about him getting called into work and mm. And, of course, I knew, obviously, you know, the rest of the story that his car was in the shop. And, you know, he let him know he didn't have a ride because both of his parents were at work. And if they really needed him to come, someone was going to have to come get him because it was too far to walk. Had he ever been uh, picked up to, for work before? Was this a first-time thing? Been picked up? Yes. Did he, uh, I guess he usually drove to work? Yes, he usually drove to work, but there had been a really bad hailstorm, and his car was in the body shop to, to fix the hail damage. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, he drove. But before he got his own car, we drove him. You know, we mm-hmm. dropped him off, and we picked him up based on our schedule. So usually, you know, uh, his father would take him, and, and I would pick him up. Okay. What's the neighborhood like? You know, in Omaha, Nebraska, I've never been there. It's a, it seems like a big city to me, but this is just one small neighborhood of, of that city. What's, what was the neighborhood like that he'd, he would have well, – where you lived, where he would have walked through to meet this coworker at the high school? Sure. Uh, this was an older established neighborhood, and it was really pretty much all residential, about a block – Away, there was a little park. It, it didn't even have swing sets or anything. It just mostly was uh, a, a block square of grass and some benches. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was the type of neighborhood that there could be some radical differences. So, for example, the the block that we lived on, and, and even several blocks around us, you know, was older established homes, but taken care of and and no issues with neighbors. But if you went maybe three, four, five blocks in each direction, you would run into pockets of areas where uh, it was in decline. Mm -hmm. And then also probably, uh, oh, maybe a mile away, uh, you got into, I, I suppose, what some would consider kind of area manifested by gangs. Okay. Uh, so not a good area of town. So it's kind of on the border of that part of town that was not so nice. But he wouldn't have, uh, the, the path that he would take from your house to the school, fairly safe? Oh, 
yes. Fair, okay. So that, okay. that whole route, um, they're really, I mean, maybe there's a couple houses kind of in decline on that whole route, but mm-hmm. for the mar- most part, I mean, even to this day, if, if I was back there, I, I would feel comfortable walking that route. I probably wouldn't want to do it in the dark, but as far mm-hmm. as during the day, yeah, I, I would be comfortable doing it. And is that the high school that Jason went to? Yes, Benson High School. Okay, and so did he walk to school while he was in high school? I'm I'm going to guess it wasn't that far. Did, yeah. he, did he walk? So this was a walk that he had done yeah. many times over. Oh, absolutely. Okay. He knew by heart, no problems at all. Probably knew every little shortcut there, but it, it was almost a straight shot, though, because once he walked that block and a half to that little park, uh, and you turned onto that street. It mm-hmm. was a straight shot, uh, and and then a half a block, you know, to the actual parking lot. So people along that route would have recognized Jason from years past. Him passing. If anybody was home, you know, that day, you know, it's a weekday time of day. Who knows how many people would be home? But if they saw him. You know, they'd say, oh, that, that, that kid, they may not know his name, but they'd say, oh, that kid that used to walk, you know, past our house or, you know, some... Um, possibly, sure. Possibly. Okay. Um, the co-worker, and I know that, you know, I've read, you know, several places, co-worker's been investigated, completely cleared. I just have a question. When she, I guess I'm going to guess that they were supposed to meet at about 11 a.m. You know, he left at like... So that's seen about 10.45. She finally, about quarter after 11, called somebody to let them know that Jason never showed up. Who did she call? I believe that she called the business, the the restaurant, because she didn't know what to do. She didn't know how long should she keep waiting, you know, what should she do. So, So she called, and I believe they told her to wait a little bit longer and and then come back. Okay. Did she have a cell phone? Was Did she make the call from a cell phone or from a pay phone? From memory, I thought she had to go use a pay phone. Um, okay. There was a, a little gas station kind of catty-cornered to the school, and I think that she went over there. Okay. The reason I ask is because uh, I was trying to explore the possibility that Maybe he was late, he got waylaid somehow, and being that it's 2001, and I know that I didn't own, I was 31 years old at the time, I didn't own a cell phone at the time, and so I was thinking, did this woman, or maybe it's a young woman, I have no idea what her name is, how old she is, um, but maybe she didn't have a cell phone either, she has to go somewhere, and could it have been when she left to go make that phone call that Jason then showed up, and he's like, well... well She's not there, and then he just says, oh, what am I going to do? Well, I don't think so, because they they did check out all the camera feeds, and, Mm -hmm. you know, that school had quite a few cameras all over it. Mm -hmm. And even there was a junior high in the building right next to it, which was actually on that street that he walked up. And so none of those camera feeds and, and watching the video, did they see him at all? So mm, wow. what that tells us is is that he just simply did not get to the property. Because out of all those cameras, had she or had he come and she wasn't there, it, it would have picked him up. Right, right. So I, I don't believe he ever made it to the property. Did did she know where you lived? 
Did she know where Jason lived? Um, I, I don't think so because the, from the story that I got was, was that, you know, she or someone at the restaurant asked for exact directions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no, being that the school was that close, he said, hey, you know, don't worry about it. I'll just walk there and meet you there because that's a lot easier to find the school than a specific house. Right. I, the, once again, the, the, the context for that question is, you know, a lot of these cases, you know, I'm looking at them. I try to put myself in the in the mind of that person who's waiting or something like that. And I was wondering... When he didn't show up at 11, did she try to drive around and maybe just see if he was late and kind of, you know, backtrack the, the path he might have taken from the house? Um, if she did, I was never made aware of that. Okay. So I suspect that she probably just went straight back to the restaurant because they were so short-staffed. Okay. So the, 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 the suspicion is that he doesn't show up at 11. She goes over to this this gas station uh, nearby and phones and they tell her, well, if he doesn't show up, I guess, you know, he didn't show up and just come back to the restaurant. Uh, did they try to call your house, you know, to find out if he left the house or anything like that? Yes. Um, I'm not sure what time those calls started, okay. but I, I don't think it was too much longer uh, from memory that they started calling and asking if, if he was home. And, of course, again, we weren't home, but his little brother was and told him, no, he went to work because that's what he knew. Okay. Um, you had mentioned earlier that he had suffered some bullying while he was in school. Um, I'm going to guess that the police at least looked a little bit into that, maybe checked out the, any, anything like that. Obviously, nothing ever came of that because this case is still unsolved. But was that something that the police pursued? Um, I really doubt it because he had been out of school for two years. And, hmm. you know, whoever specifically had bullied him, I, just from things that he told us, I don't know that, it, I don't know that there was a particular kid. Mm-hmm. I think it was just kids. Yeah. And, you know, Jason was the type that he wouldn't want to narc on someone, so I even doubt that there was records of specifically who was bothering him, mm-hmm. so I honestly don't think that plays into it at all. I mean, you as his mother just completely dismissed that at all? You just don't think that that was something that, that was a possibility? Well, I mean, again, this, going to that school was two years prior, and... Yeah. You know, those kids could have moved away or not even lived within, you know, that neighborhood directly by the school. It's, it's hard to say. Okay. Fair and enough. I mean, and sure, there's there's nothing that doesn't say that, you know, one of them saw him and said, oh, hey, yeah, I remember him. And, I, I mean, you don't know, but you, you can't investigate what, what you don't know or what information that you have. And we certainly didn't have the names of any bullies to give right. the police because if we had we would have yeah you would have okay um what about uh you know i, I you know the, the years go by you know so fast for me but um what was the status of the documenting document 
convicting of sex offenders in Nebraska and other states at that time. You know, I, I know a lot of it is made about it today and people trying to kick sexual predators who've been in jail and are out out of their communities. What was the status of that in Nebraska at the time and specifically uh, the Omaha area? Well, I don't know if it was any different than it is today, um, but, you know, they had to register just, mm-hmm. just like they do today. And, and so there was, given the kind of neighborhood that it was, like I said, there's kind of pockets that weren't so good. Mm-hmm. Um, there was quite a few sex offenders living in the area. In fact, there was one that lived in a house that was not quite right across the street from that park. Um, and it would have been more like a few houses down if you got to the park and you went the wrong way, so opposite of, of how you would go to the school, but still within visual of the park. Okay. And since then, it's, you know, it's been 15 years, have the police, once again, no names is, are needed here, have there been suspects that the police have investigated and cleared or... Is it one of those situations where, you know, they have a suspicion that, you know, nobody's been included, nobody's been excluded? Or is this... There's really no strong suspects, nor was there ever. Mm -hmm. You know, at at the time, um, and even sometime later when I learned uh, that sex offenders weren't necessarily going after little girls, let's say, as an example, that sex offenders would have a different, you know, each sex offender might have a different, um, you know, type of of, uh, victim that they would go after, and it wasn't necessarily, you know, cute little girls, it it could be anyone. Yes. Um, But at at any rate, they they did check out sex offenders in the area and and also looked into that uh, years later as well. Uh, there was a person at Jason's previous job who was a older male who tended to befriend and invite to his home young males, mm-hmm. and they checked him out hmm. um, and didn't find anything suspicious with him. It was just someone um, that they had talked to in interviewing people who uh, had something to do with, you know, in Jason's life. So, again, there was never, ever has there been a person of interest at all. Hmm. I mean, everyone that even had the slightest little bit to do with Jason was definitely ruled out, like people at the restaurant, for example. Right. Uh, You know, what was interesting to me the the first time we talked is, is something that you just said is that you know, a, a mother's intuition. I, I just want to give you an example, you know, maybe from my life that, you know, if something would have happened to me like this and, you know, at the same age and, and everything, I I think that my mother and, you know, maybe because I maybe tended to be a little bit more of a polarizing guy, maybe to this day that might even be the truth, that my mother would have been said, you know what, you need to check out this person and that person and this person. This isn't the case with you. You are... To this day, you've told me that, you know, you just can't put your finger on anything. No, and and quite honestly, nobody else can either. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's not just me. Um, there was a, 
There was a, a veteran cop, a, a detective, who was involved in the case at the beginning. And he'd been with the Omaha Police Department for 30 years. That's a long time. Yeah. And he said, in my whole entire career, there has never been a case as baffling as this one. And that tells you a lot. It does. And, you know, going back to Mother's Intuition, I never had any strong feeling like he's definitely alive. I know he is kind mm-hmm. of thing. Or, you know, I, I feel in my heart like someone's harmed him. I, I yeah. never had an impression that was strong one way or the other. And in thinking about that, it's, it's like, is that a way to protect myself because whichever the answer is, whether the answer is he's not with us or he is, uh, it puts me in the middle. And so I feel like when you're in the middle, whichever way the answer goes, you're partway there instead of, and I've seen it happen with families who feel, you know, 100% conviction that their loved one is alive. And when they found out they weren't, they, they had an awful long way to go to uh, recover and to have some acceptance of, of what happened. So, yeah. In your work w- with Project Jason, do you find a lot of families feel the same way that you do? You know, a lot of them just can't put their finger on what happened and like the kind of feelings that you expressed, you know, right here? Yes, there is. But the the thing is, in, in all the cases that we worked with, is that there are not so many that are like ours, that are just mm-hmm. downright so 100% mysterious, you have no idea. Most of them, the families know something. Yeah. You know, like there's a suspicion of the ex-boyfriend or there's a suspicion of you know, these kids, the person hung around with, or this person or that person, there's some kind of a, a logical trail or, or leads or theory. Um, and, and so they have somewhere to go with their thought process of, you know, I feel like my loved one is not with us. Whereas in these cases, they're just so, so mysterious. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, most of them, uh, do feel like me, but that varies per person. It, it really does. Yeah, you don't run into too many cases where, and let's put on the record that Jason was not a small guy. 6'1", 160, 170 pounds, or, you know, the statistics I've seen on him. Not exactly a candidate for being, you know, attacked or anything like that. I mean, I mean you talked about, you know, most sexual predators... You know, you think they go after little girls. Well, maybe they might stay away from six foot one guys too. You know, the last thing they need is, you know, some sort of fight. Um, So that also has, I think, another complexity to this on top of the fact that it happened at, you know, 11 a.m. in the morning. (laughs) You know, to point out, though, that just because someone is a bigger person doesn't protect them because in Jason's case, he had such a sweet demeanor. And I don't think he could think ill of, of most people and perhaps was somewhat gullible. And so, you know, mm. he he wouldn't be the type to want to fight anyone. And 
But would it, I guess the question I asked though, but the person wouldn't know that beforehand. They wouldn't. Well, no. They no. wouldn't necessarily say, "Well, I know." And once again, unless the person knew him, unless correct. Okay. And then you know, as I mentioned to you on the other call, it's like it doesn't matter if you're the strongest person in the whole world. Right. If somebody's pointing a gun at you, right, it doesn't matter. That's true. And, of course, you know, we we don't know that anything like that happened, but. Right. It would just then it, then it would just happen, end up being some sort of, you know, horrible, uh, wrong place, wrong time type well, of thing. Well, and I, I guess I'd just like to point out because people jump to conclusions that, yeah. you know, it's like, well, he was a young adult male and, you know, six foot one and mm-hmm. 190. So nothing bad could have possibly happened to him. But. Again, that's not true. We yeah. we don't really know that. And just because someone's big and maybe strong too, it doesn't really mean a darn thing. Bad things can happen to anyone, um, no, no matter who they are or what their physique is. True enough. True enough. Um, and one more thing uh, before we move on to all the great work that you've been doing uh, at Project Jason. Uh, there's a name that came up, and it was we met, I mentioned it before, Sam Shepard. You don't believe his disappearance had anything to do with Jason's. You, there's no proof that it does, let's put it that way, to somebody that disappeared from the same neighborhood around the same time. Correct. Yeah, there's there's really nothing known. Of course, unfortunately, there's not very much known about, about this young man either, which is uh, very sad. But, but no, I had asked several times for them to look into, is there any connection whatsoever? And they couldn't come to any conclusion that there was. But you know what? Unless we know the answers about what happened to, to both of these young men, none of us know, right. really. Right, right. Okay, I just wanted to get that on the record because well, I know sure. no, I know, no. I know some people had talked about that, but I, I just wanted to um, hear you say it because you, you know, can tell the listeners uh, your opinion on it. Let's move uh, on. And another thing that sure, please. probably just, you know, mention real quick is that over the years, you know, toward the beginning, they did a thorough investigation of anyone who ever knew him and mm-hmm. questioned and, and all that. And then they actually redid that, that whole, you know, talk to everybody scenario two times mm-hmm. over the course of, of all the years to just make sure, you know, are their stories the same? Is there something different coming out as far as information goes and unfortunately you know nothing new surfaced nothing. And, and so those people you know were still cleared as far as any suspicion whatsoever uh one, once once again i said this before one more thing were you happy with the way the police the, the, do you think the police did everything they could at the time to, to investigate this? Well, at the time this? that he disappeared, the, the initial disappearance, absolutely not. Okay. Um, because, and this happens with uh, a lot of people that disappear is there's an assumption they ran away or there's an assumption of, hey, they just want to get away for a while, you know, they'll, they'll be mm-hmm. back. Right. And, and so there's no action taking during the critical hours and and days that follow the disappearance and once those hours and days pass a lot of times you just simply can't get back that information so let's say for example that you were in 
those walks on the way to school, you lived in one of those houses, and you were washing the dishes, looking out your kitchen window, you could see the street, and Jason walked by, and then a van came along, and he got in the van. But see, you know, weeks and weeks later, are you even going to remember that? Because it didn't have relevance. Yeah. But if, if someone talked to you, you know, two days later and said, hey, did you see anything unusual? Have you seen this this young man and, and show a picture, then someone would remember. But they're not going to remember weeks and, and potentially months later. Now, over the course of that first 10 days, we were being interviewed, and, you know, they were learning about Jason through us, and you know, I think that they then had a realization something is not right here. It's, it's just not. Uh, media got involved, and and then things started to to move. So, you know, ten days later, two weeks later, they did do eventually everything that I feel they could have done. But the problem was that first ten days that you can't get back. Now, am I bitter? No. Mm-hmm. I, I understand it because I understand the numbers. The sheer numbers of missing persons, especially in a larger city, there is absolutely no way that officers can respond and do all the things that they really should do on all those missing person cases. It, it's just it's a numbers game. You can't do it. Um, it's unfortunate, yeah. and you can't go back in time. You can't undo it. It is what it is. And if we had the officers, the, the staffing that we needed, and they had the training that we needed, things would be different. Maybe we wouldn't be in this situation 15 years later, but we are. So you're t- saying it took some days before that neighborhood, that area between your house and the high school specifically, those people really found out that somebody had disappeared in that area at that time. Correct. It, it was okay. it was ten days before media. Wow. And, and then the police started taking action, and they did a uh, a walking search, not not a dog search, um, but a, a community volunteer walking search where they walked from the house to actually to the job and went down alleys and, you know, kind of poked around if there was, you know, um, a, a building, a, a structure of some sort, like a storage um, building, you know, kind of poked around what they could legally uh, looking for any kind of evidence whatsoever and, you know, didn't find a thing. Do you put a lot of faith in dogs? For the sense well, and uh, when, when I later learned about search and rescue dogs, because I didn't know a thing about them at that time, you know, mm-hmm. I always wished that had I known what I knew later on, and I could go back to that day, which I can't, mm-hmm. I, I would have tried to do everything that I could to get some search and rescue dogs to pick up a trail to, to figure out, you know, where does the trail end? Does that give us clues um but you can't go back right right and that was my september 2016 interview with kelly murphy 
mother of Jason Jolkowski, and creator of Project Jason, a now defunct website devoted to missing persons cases. I thank Kelly for that interview, way back when nobody knew who I was. Within the last couple of years, I made a map analysis video of the route Jason would have walked that day. I also look at the surrounding area and where Jason could have gone if an abduction was not the cause of his disappearance. It's on the Unfound Podcast channel on YouTube. Please use it as a supplemental to this episode. Before I get too deep into this new 2022 summation, I want to cover something that came up with Kelly in the interview, and that is the disappearance of Sam Sherman, a young man who also went missing in Omaha during 2001. And Sam did not live that far away from Benson High School. Well, a listener maybe three years ago was able to solve Sam's disappearance. Sam is alive and well, married with a child, I think. This listener was able to determine that Sherman was not Sam's last name, but his middle name. From that, the listener worked the databases until he found out Sam's real last name. From that, he found Sam's Facebook page. Sam responded to the listener's message. It turned out that, yes, Sam had gone missing for a few days back in 2001, but quickly showed up again and his name was never taken off of NamUs. Sam didn't even know he was still considered a missing person in 2019 or 2020. Long story short, Sam's alleged disappearance is surely not connected to Jason's real disappearance at all. I suppose making Jason's even tougher to understand. So then, what to think about Jason's disappearance? What have we all learned over the past six years that can be applied to what I've called Unfound's most mysterious case? I default to what I continue to say about disappearances. They are all about people. For Jason, given his learning disability, and I'm surely not even close to an expert on the topic, I'm not sure if he were feeling depressed or despondent or sad about whatever was going on in his life, that Jason would have had the capacity to put together a plan where he would commit suicide and nobody would find him. That sounds complicated. In fact, we know this would be complex for people with even average IQs. In addition, and as much as I hate trying to read missing people's minds, we have to try to determine why Jason would do so on a day where he was supposed to meet someone. Really, if Jason had suicidal thoughts in his head, why offer to go into work at all? You will have to decide the odds of that for yourselves. Likewise, given what I understand about Jason... I don't think he had the ability to formulate a plan in which he would leave his life to start a new one. Not impossible, but surely unlikely. Of course, if someone were to have helped Jason do this, then anything is possible. The problem, ruling out both a suicide and a new life, 
leaves us with two choices that cannot please any of us. Why? Because a man being picked up right off a street, especially in a safe neighborhood at 11 a.m., is such a rare disappearance scenario that it doesn't even register on the percentages I keep for all the different theories for unfound cases. If Jason were a woman, sure. If Jason were involved in illegal activity, sure. If it were 3 a.m. in a rough part of town, sure. If Jason were an addict, sure. But the Jason Jolkowskis of the world at that age don't disappear in the way it seems Jason might have. We must remember, though, that Jason was unique. He had a learning disability that his own mother said would cause him to trust people a little too much, meaning someone could have lured him into a car. Yet, the only people who would have known Jason had the disability that he did would have been people who knew him and knew him well enough to know that he could be talked into getting into a car despite having only to walk a half mile. The counterpoint to that might be that pretty much anyone of any intelligence level would get into a car with a known person, no matter if the walk were a half mile or 10 miles. So, I think this is where I am in 2022 regarding Jason's disappearance. I don't usually announce my theories on here, but I think looking at Jason most of all, and the circumstances secondarily, I continue to believe someone very well known to him caused him to go missing, and unfortunately caused his death as well. Meaning, I think it was a complete coincidence that Jason ran into whomever on the short walk that day, despite me hating coincidences. But that's why I consider Jason's disappearance to be the most mysterious. I'll leave the rest of the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. Right now, while you are in your podcast platform, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, wherever, give Unfound a five-star review, a thumbs up, whatever that platform allows. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've just finished this episode of Unfound.